worship the God who is worthy. Mm. Let's keep that action going. Open your Bibles to Psalm 32. You're like, we're going to keep it going. Guys, I am so excited for this text today. And it's because of what we just sang that I am so excited for this text today. We serve the God of amazing grace. We serve the God who meets us in our sin, who meets us in our shame, who meets us in all the ways the world has broken us. And he meets us with grace and love and forgiveness. It's worth singing about. It's worth bending your life around. Amen? Now, as you're turning there, by the way, uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, we really believe in the importance of God's people having access to God's Word. So if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, uh, use one of those for the sermon, but just take it home. Or even better, talk to one of our pastors and we will, we will get you one with, without such mercilessly small print. <laughs> <laughs> While you're turning there, I want to I want to draw your attention to something. So we didn't talk about this last week because we had the picnic and you know both churches were together. But a couple of weeks ago, our students went away to camp. It was pretty amazing. If I can get that picture up on the wall, uh, a lot of you guys probably just don't even aren't even super connected or aware of our student ministry. But it's awesome, and summer camp is the most magical place on all of God's. That. I wanted you guys to be able to celebrate that. I also wanted you guys to see the grown-ups who help with that, because student ministry is one of those ministries in our church that, for many of us, is just in the background. And so, can we just really quick just take a moment to praise God for His movement and just say a quick thank you to those who serve our students and serve the children in our church? Can we do that real quick? Just a quick like thank you. Yeah. But today we're in Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We've been going through this series in the Psalms all summer long. Uh, hopefully this has been as much of a gift for you guys as it's been for me. It has been really encouraging, really beautiful to dig through these songs and these poems that just, just proclaim the excellencies of our God, the beauty of the gospel. One of my favorite things whenever we do a series in the Old Testament is how just how God faithfully shines his gospel truth through even in Old Testament texts that were written hundreds if not thousands of years before Christ was born like it's just such a cool thing to see how God speaks one unified message through the whole of his word today we're in Psalm 32 and, and if, you, if you've been reading ahead in the text as we've been publishing then you're probably already stoked on this but if you haven't let me give you the quick preview before we jump into this it comes down to this god loves you a ton even though you're a sinner 
And he meets you in your sin with grace and forgiveness. Come on, church. Come on. We're going to read this. We're going to jump straight into this text because I couldn't be more excited for it. Psalm 32 opens like Like this. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When when great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. And I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I'll give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. You're so good to us. You're so kind to us, Lord. God, we ask this morning as we take a few minutes to reflect on this text afresh, God, that you would just give every single one of us in this room a fresh and clear reminder of who you are, how good your gospel is, and how readily available your grace is. Even as we read this text, even as we pray this prayer, Lord, for those of us in this room who were just a little too churched, that were just just callous enough to think this text is for non-believers and people less mature than us, God, I pray that you would cut through that, that you would hit us afresh today, Lord, that we would be drawn once again the necessity, how deeply our soul needs you and depends on you, that we will be drawn again to the futility of holding on to our idols and holding on to our sin, and we would be drawn afresh to see with brand new eyes, as we did the day we met you, the beauty and the freedom of your cross. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. What I love about this text is that more than many texts in the scripture, Psalm 32 just slaps you in the face with the grace of God. How joyful it is to be forgiven of sins. Amen? That is the message today. You, beloved of Jesus, are allowed, you are called, you are are able to walk in forgiveness and freedom. The brokenness of this world, the sin that clings to you, the sin that you love and run back to, the sin that you're so used to and so callous to that you don't even see it as sin in your life anymore. You just see it as a quirky part of your personality. Like those things don't have to define you. They don't have to own you. You can walk in freedom. And not just you can walk in freedom, beloved, you were made to walk in freedom. Our God delights to forgive your sin. When you come to the Lord with your sin, 
you receive forgiveness. When you come to the Lord with confession and repentance, you receive absolution. It's what our God does time and time again. It never ceases. It never grows old. It never runs out. The grace of God is always available to you. In his, uh, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, this old school Baptist pastor, John Bunyan, this is way back in the day when getting a bap- being a Baptist wasn't about being lame. It was uh, about getting arrested. <laughs> back in that day, sorry. Back in that day, this pastor, John Bunyan, he wrote this book called Pilgrim's Progress, which by the way, if you've never read that, I, it's, it's, like up, it's like required reading in my mind. Like, like the Bible's the only real required reading, right? But like, it's one of those books just as a follower of Christ you should read. And in, in, in Pilgrim's Progress, if you've never read it, John Bunyan tells this allegorical tale of this man named Pilgrim who makes his way from his hometown called the City of Destruction uh, to, on a journey to the celestial city atop Mount Zion. And in every aspect of the story, every character, every scene, every bit is an allegorical piece of the Christian life, the life pursuing after Christ, the life of walking in salvation, walking in sanctification. It is an insanely powerful book. You should read it. There are modern translations that make it easy to read. I will buy you a copy if you'll read it. And I'm I'm dead serious about that, right? It's so good. But one of my favorite things in Pilgrim and of all the beautiful images in it comes back to the reason Pilgrim decides to leave his town and go on the journey is because he has this insane backpack. He has this burden tied to his body that's full of stones and lumps, and the book describes it as pointy and jabbing into his side, and it's just lashed to him with ropes, and he can't take it off no matter what he does, and it hurts him, and it burdens him, and he wants to see it gone. And so as he begins this journey, he begins this journey with this massive bag full of pointy stones lashed to his back. And it actually drags him down. There's a, there's a specific scene where he's stuck in a bog of discouragement and he's doubting his decision and the backpack is actually dragging him down and threatening to drown him in the bog. And it's, it's really intense, right? And the, and the analogy here is to the sin that clings to Pilgrim's heart. It burdens him. It weighs on him. It pulls him down. It threatens to drown him in despair, right? But actually early on in the book, early on, about a third of the way in, spoiler alert, Pilgrim meets Jesus, and Jesus takes him to see the cross. And there's this amazing scene where he he begins to step up this hill, and at the top of the hill, there's the cross, and at the bottom of the hill, there's this empty tomb, and he's still figuring out what those things mean, but he's told, go to the cross with your burden. And there's this painting, this famous painting that goes with this scene that goes back to some of the original printings of the book. This is the pilgrim slide, the painting. When he gets on his knees before the cross, the backpack just falls off. He gets on his knees and he stands before the cross and the ropes that hold it on, they just snap. And the burden falls off his back and it rolls down the hill into the open grave and the grave swallows it up and it's gone forever. It's such a beautiful image, such a beautiful reminder of what the gospel does for us. It removes our burdens, the burden, the weight of sin that crushes us, the, the peace that, that holds on to us. It, it, takes, it doesn't just take it away, it doesn't just hide it, it doesn't just, no, no, no. It swallows it up and it's gone. And for the rest of the journey, through temptations, through trials, through suffering, through all of it, Pilgrim, now named Christian, 
He walks in freedom. He walks with his shoulders held high and his posture corrected because the cross has removed his burden. That's what we're getting at today, beloved. Sin weighs us down. It burdens us. It wounds us. It hurts us. And this isn't just a message for the lost people in the room or the the brand new immature Christians in the room. This is a message for broken and sinful humans. We live in a broken and sinful world. And we have hearts that are bent toward idolatry and bent toward sin. And even when we've been pursuing Christ for sometimes even decades, our hearts love a lot of the sin in our life. And we seek it out and we gladly throw those burdens upon our own back not realizing the damage they do to us, sometimes even realizing the damage they do to us and just loving them that much. But beloved Jesus, Jesus sets you free. You were made for freedom. You were built for that. You were called to that. It's what God longs for for you, to be free, to be free in him, to not be weighed down by the burdens of sin, the burdens of this world. Look, this text walks us through this. In some really powerful ways, what I'd like to do, so this text is kind of broken up into four movements. If you actually look at it, it's kind of brilliant because some of the movements have different speakers and it kind of moves around perspective and those things. We're not going to focus on that piece as much as, as following within this poem. We're going to walk through each one, and I really just think this overarching clear message of this psalm is just going to ring into our hearts as we take a few minutes to focus on this. And it's just this, beloved of Jesus, you can be free even now, even here, even today. There is no need, no need for you to leave this place bound under the burden of sin. Through Christ, you can be free. You can walk in that freedom. So, movement one, the joy of freedom. This text opens by telling you exactly what it's going to talk about. I don't know how verse one of Psalm 32 has to be one of the most encouraging texts in all of scripture. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. What a truth. And this is, this is what the whole psalm builds upon. What a blessing to have our sin forgiven. The speaker here basically restates the same basic truth here three times. Transgressions forgiven, sin covered, not being charged with iniquity. This, this first section comes together around this courtroom image, right? Not being charged with iniquity. The, the image here is of someone stuck in court waiting for the charges to come, standing before the judge, and the judge says charges dropped, right? The weight of relief that comes with that. That's, that's the imagery this gives here. There's no charges. But look at this, church. This is vitally important for us. Each of these restatements of the same idea, each of these images the speaker gives us, they're all pushing this idea that that kind of forgiveness, sins covered, iniquity gone, no charges, that that kind of forgiveness creates joy. It's a joy to be forgiven. It's a joy to find out there are no charges. It's a joy to find out your burden can be removed. Beloved, before we even go on in this text, I think it's important to sit in this idea for a minute. 
I really believe that many of us in a room like this have simply learned to live contentedly without joy or the hope of joy in our lives. I think for some of us, we've lost sight of joy. And instead, we've learned the skills of surviving in a broken and sinful world with the effects of broken sinfulness, the burden of our own sin and the sin of this world as just a constant companion. And the joy of forgiveness, the joy of freedom is not something that even crosses our minds often. Instead, we've learned how to endure. If I'm honest, I think many of us are just simply content to be joyless. That's a heavy thing to say. I think we have to start there because the text purposefully dangles this in front of you. The text comes to you, you know, the Spirit of the Lord knows the human heart. The Spirit of the Lord knows that we are but dust. It knows that we adjust to our present reality. And it knows that many of us just figure out how to walk with this balance of, I believe the gospel, but I'm not willing to deal with these sins. And so I'm just going to live with this pain and this suffering and this idolatry. So the text comes to you and says, but you know, you know, there's joy in forgiveness. You know, there's joy for you. You can bring this to Christ and have that burden removed and you can be filled with the joy of the Lord. Beloved, Jesus forgives sins. And sins forgiven are a joy to the human heart. I feel like some of us today just need to have that spark put back in front of our eyes, thrown back into our head to go, you actually can walk in joy in this life. Your life does not have to be defined by the sin that was committed against you, by the wrongs and the pain and the suffering put upon you. You can actually walk in the joy of the Lord And you can see the weight of sin removed from your shoulders, the burden rolled away and swallowed up by the empty tomb of Jesus. That is available to you. I'm going to tear up and not be able to read my notes. In his, uh, he has a book on marriage, this pastor and theologian, a guy named Tim Keller. And in that book, he has this quote, I think is really good for a, a, a thought like this. He says this, to be loved but not known, is comforting, but superficial. And if someone loves you, but they don't know you, it's like, okay, cool, but that doesn't mean anything. To be known and then not loved (laughs) is our greatest fear. To be exposed and put out there and be like, "Eh, that's horrible. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that is a lot like being loved by God. It is what the human soul needs more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This is the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus. When you come to the cross with real confession, bearing the ugly bits of your soul, the parts you hate, the parts that bring you shame, the parts that you dare not mention to anyone except maybe your counselor, When you bring those things before the Lord and he sees you fully, completely bared, naked before his holiness, when he knows you, he loves you. He loves you in all of that. Every bit of you. Every bit of you that you don't like. Every bit of you that you hate. God responds to that with love. 
made you in my image. I stamped you. You're mine. I care for you. Grace, forgiveness, joy, they are yours. Some of us, I think, today need to be reminded that we don't have to be content to simply survive in this world. You can live in the light. You can live in honesty, in confession. You can allow yourself to be fully seen and fully known because Jesus forgives sins. Jesus washes away the brokenness and dirt of this world. It's what he does. The joy of freedom can be yours, church. We're in verse two. We get like 10 more of these. Second movement, second movement. We, that, that takes us perfectly into the second section of the text where the, the, the speaker moves from this like, man, God is so good. And then he moves into this moment of confession where he talks about his own bent toward hiding his sin. The second movement, I call this the pain of concealment. And you see, once again, the speaker hands us these three images to kind of walk through this piece. He talks about his own fighting to confess his sin, his own work to hide and conceal his own idolatry, his own sinfulness, his own brokenness. He walks through this idea of of how, how this sin, how hiding it drains him, how it leaves his bones brittle and dry and ready to crack, how how it weighs down on him like the hand of the Lord crushing down on his shoulders, how it leaves him dry and parched and thirsty like heat exhaustion, a hot day with no water. This is where concealing his sin leaves him. Oof. Oof. Have you ever had heat exhaustion? right? It feels like being emptied out, like being drained until there's nothing left within you. This, according to the text, is what you get when you try and hold in and hide your sin, your idolatry, your brokenness, the effects of the curse on your soul. It drains us, shrivels our soul. The sins we run to, the hurt of the sin others have done, we all, on some level, on some level, can appreciate what the speaker of the text is saying here. When we hide those things, it hurts. When we stuff those things down and try and pretend that they don't affect us and that no one, especially God or church people, need know these deep, deep, dark parts of our person It drains something out of us. Leaves us less than we're meant to be. Leaves us brittle. Leaves us exhausted. I think there's something important here too. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Do you notice the speaker just kind of assumes that this is what people do? (laughs) He doesn't say it like, if you do this, these things will happen. He just says, I do these things and these things happen. There's this assumption built into the text that the bent of the human heart is toward concealing our sin, toward hiding the ways that sin and brokenness has affected us, which raises, I think, an interesting question. Why would we do that? Why is that the natural bent of our heart? I mean, if it feels so good to be forgiven, 
If the fruit of confession is forgiveness and and forgiveness brings about joy, and if the fruit of concealment is pain and suffering and sickness, right? Like that seems like such an obvious equation. Why would we do that? Why would we purposefully put ourselves in a context where, where our soul, our, remember, right? Like, you're a complete person. You're, your body and your soul are linked together. When you burden one of those things, it affects the whole of your person. Your physical health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, these things are, are linked together. And when we, when we make these choices to hide and conceal, it legitimately affects us in negative ways. But if God always offers forgiveness and forgiveness brings about joy, why are we choosing to do this? I think for many of us, it's because we have an inherent awareness of the holiness of God. Right? The scripture talks about how there's something in the creation that points human hearts to the power, the separation, the holiness of who God is. I think there's something in us that knows how holy God is and sees that in comparison to how sinful we are and just goes, I can't bring those things together. I can't do that. That's bad news. And if you're churched and if you've been discipled and you've gotten to the scripture, right, like you have theological justification for that. The holiness of God cannot be in the presence of sin. How can can I bring these things to the light and have him still love me? How can I possibly do that? These things, there is a chasm between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of my heart. How can we we bridge that? I'm going to give you a little preview of the core class here. (laughs) You could put that cross chart up for me. I think this little visual aid helps us think through this idea. Some of you guys have seen this part of this before, the part on the left there. Imagine that as like the timeline of your life, right? And at some point in the timeline of your life, as you're living your life, you have a realization that there is a chasm between the holiness of God and your sinfulness, right? That top line there, God's holiness. The bottom line there, your awareness. that At some point, you realize there is a chasm here. What can I do about this? How can I approach a holy and righteous God when I am drenched in sin, when I am given over to my own self-destruction? Praise be to God. Like pilgrim, we're brought to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, we realize that God forgives sins, that Jesus gave his life for ours, that there's no need for us to be seen and identified with our unrighteousness and our sinfulness, but we can actually take on the righteousness of Christ and be, be seen by God through the lens of Jesus, and that the cross bridges that gap, right? Some of you, like, are thinking back to, like, you know, a gospel presentation that someone gave you, and, like, the whole, the pit, and, like, the cross comes in and makes the bridge, right? The the cross bridges the gap between your sinfulness and the holiness of God. That's amazing. But then come back to this text. Many of us who've known Christ for years, maybe even decades, still have the propensity to hide our sin, to downplay it, to ignore it, to stuff it, to pretend it doesn't affect us. Why would we do that if we know the power of the gospel? So I think the trick here is that many of us have become convinced that the gospel of Jesus is the gateway that gets us into the kingdom of God. It's the entry point. That's for non-believers. You present the gospel to the non-believers in the room so they can believe the gospel and enter into the kingdom. But for us, who are already in Christ, our job is to grow in holiness. 
Our job is to show up to church and go to Bible studies and go to discipleship groups. And, and we do this insane thing sometimes where we, we look at lost people and we say, you can do nothing to earn God's favor. You're, you're stuck in your sin. But man, look at the lavish, amazing, wonderful grace of God. He meets your sin with his love and forgiveness. Come and accept him and be entered into the kingdom. And once people do that and we baptize and we celebrate, we go, cool. Now you have to earn your righteousness. You got in for free. <laughs> But now you've got to pay to play. So you better show up holy. You better kill every little bit of sin in your life. You better not let idolatry affect your heart. You better show up to church on Sunday with a huge smile on your face saying, God's good, everything's great. You better. Because you're in Christ. We don't sin anymore once we're in Christ. But we all know that's bunk. It's not how this life works. Every single one of us, our testimony could be summed up by that first piece. We're walking along in life. We become aware of our sin. We become aware of the holiness of God. We become aware of the beauty of the gospel that bridges the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. But I guarantee, I guarantee this is what happened in your life afterwards. At some point you realized, I'm actually more sinful than I thought I was. I actually have other areas of idolatry that I didn't even know about when Jesus saved me. I actually have other areas of sin patterns that like, I wasn't even ready to deal with. I actually have found new idols I didn't know existed, but once I found them, I really liked them. I, have, I am worse than I thought I was when I got saved. And then you go to church, and you go to small group, and you go to discipleship, and you read the Bible, and you find out, oh my gosh, God is actually better than I thought he was. He's actually more holy than I realized. He actually really is separate from sin in ways I didn't even realize. And then all of a sudden you look at your life and you go, the gap between my sinfulness and God's holiness is so much bigger than I thought it was. And if for you, the gospel is just the entryway, it's just the thing for non-believers to get from outside the kingdom to inside the kingdom, then you'll look back on that cross that bridged the gap from between your sin and God's holiness and you'll go, I don't think that's big enough to bridge the gap. I don't think it gets me there. There's still a gap. What, what do I do? And for many of us, our choice then is to go, well, I'll hide. I'll pretend my sin is not as bad as it is. I'll pretend that this isn't affecting me the way it is. I will stuff this down and push it away and ignore it. I will pretend that God is not as holy as I know he is from his word. I will downplay this so that the gap still seems manageable. We shrink the cross. But here's the thing, beloved of Jesus. You never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is the entryway into the kingdom. Jesus is the gate. He calls those who are his. They walk through. He knows their voice, all those things. But the gospel is also the pathway you walk. It's the life you live. It's the thing that keeps you until eternity. You never graduate from the cross of Jesus. You must always come back to the beautiful truths of the gospel that God made you and he made you for perfection, not for sin. And that sin is not the design. And even though we all choose sin, God promises that he's more powerful, that he'll fix what sin broke and that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise because he lived a perfect life and died an unjust death and rose from the dead by the power of the spirit and ascended to heaven from which he will return and restore all things and bring all of his with him into eternity for perfection forever. You never graduate past that. You always come back to that truth. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God will fix what sin is broken. 
So when you grow in maturity, moving along the line, that's a growth in maturity. When you realize God's more holy than I thought he was, I'm more sinful than I realized I was. When you realize those things and you come back to the gospel afresh, you realize, wow, God is so gracious. The cross is big enough to bridge this gap. Jesus still moves me from my sinfulness to the holiness of God. God's response to confession is forgiveness, period. We never move past that. We never move past that. Joyful is the one who is forgiven. Beloved, there is no need for you to pretend, for you to perform, for you to downplay sin, for you to stuff it down, for you to pretend God's not as good. There's no need to go through any of those acrobatics to try and pretend you're more holy than you are, to try and numb yourself to the reality of your present sins. There's no need to do it because the grace of God is sufficient for you here, now, today. You can come to the cross afresh every morning. Receive the gospel afresh every day. Beloved, there is Always forgiveness. That well does not run dry. Which brings us to this third movement. In verse 6 he says, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Run to God, beloved. I know you're bent toward hiding your sin, toward stuffing it, toward, toward ignoring its effects on you. But listen. The well of the grace of God never runs dry. So go to him quickly. Don't, don't tally, don't, don't wait. The grace of God is available to you. So run to him. And here he gives it once again, he gives us multiple images. He talks about how those who receive the, this grace daily of God, those who come to him quickly, their sins are covered. The floodwaters can't reach them. They're cared for, they're protected. This is what the gospel does. As you walk through this world, as you experience the reality of the curse, as you, as you have other people's sin, other people's injustice, other evils of this world affect you and hurt you and wound you, as you run again and again and again to the same old dumb sinful idols that you know don't fulfill, but somehow you're convinced they will again, as you live your life in this broken and sinful world, the well of Jesus is always available for a fresh drink. The grace of God is always there can always drink deep of the grace of God. And when you do that, oh, you're protected. You're covered. You're made safe. The floodwaters don't reach you. It reminds me of Jesus' own words. At the closing of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking to the audience who's been listening to them preach this sermon. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, and it collapsed with a great crash. Sound familiar? The person who has confessed is safe in the Lord, just like the person who takes the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. The floodwaters of this stormy life cannot wash them away. They survive the storms of this life. 
The life built upon the gospel foundation of the words of Jesus withstands this world. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a firm foundation, beloved. It's a firm foundation. So run to him. Don't walk, don't wait. Run to him. He's a firm foundation. Does not shake. You don't move past it. You don't need to move past it. You don't have to avoid it. You can run to him here and now today. And this brings us to this closing piece, and this is so important. I think Jesus' words kind of bridge us here because the Lord's blessing isn't just forgiveness, although it is always forgiveness. It is also guidance. It's guidance. See, Jesus was inviting his listeners to take his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the truth of the kingdom of God, and do something with it. It was the instruction of Jesus that would be their foundation, that would, that would help them to stand up in the storms of this life. In the same way, our text reminds us that God doesn't just forgive sins. And if you hear nothing else today, church, hear this. He always forgives sins. That peace is, is unnegotiable. You confess to him, you come to him in confession and repentance, what you receive is forgiveness and joy, always. But our God doesn't just forgive our sins. He also guides us in righteousness. He guides us toward what he actually has for us. He, he molds us to be more in his likeness, to, to grow in holiness. Yes, even those of you who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, Christ still guides you and molds you conforms you to his image. I think some of us who struggle with repeated sin patterns here, hear this part, and we could just go straight to discouragement. I mean, if you keep returning to the same sin over and over and over, right? Like, you know God's instructions for you. If you have a habitual sin pattern or idolatry, it's like, well, I know what God wants me to do. I know what he desires for me, but, but I'm not doing it. And it seems like I can't do it. You've grown callous to actually pursuing God's instructions. It seems impossible. For many of you guys, I know that the sin pattern you're thinking of right now simply seems to you inevitable. It's just a part of your life. You will return to it. So praise be to God, he's gracious, because you're just going to have to lean into that for the rest of your life coming back to him for grace over and over and over and over. But beloved, you got to hear me. That's a recipe for shame, for hiding, for joylessness. That's a recipe to shipwreck your faith. If that's you today, I have wonderful news for you. Regardless of what your broken, sinful self may tell you, you are not a donkey. You are not a mule. You are not a horse. You are not a mindless creature that is driven by a bit. You are a child of God. You are made in his image, sacred and special, set apart from everything else in this reality. You bear the image of the holy and living God. That also means you bear responsibility in this reality. That also means that you can make decisions, that you have a will that can act. It means you're not controlled by animal passions 
or by instinct. It means you actually, through the power of the Spirit living in you, can walk in freedom. You can. I know right now, for some of you guys who are years into the same repeated sin pattern, that something in your flesh right now is saying, that sounds sweet, but I don't think it will happen. Beloved, it can happen. It can. The power of the Spirit living in you, you can walk in freedom. You can repent. You can grow in holiness and righteousness. With the forgiveness and the power of the Spirit, you can actually learn to walk in self-control. I promise you, I've seen it happen. It can happen in your life. It can happen in your life today. If this is you in this place today, I don't want you to feel singled out. But I want you today, before you go to bed, before your head hits the pillow, go read 1 Corinthians 10. Focus in on verse 13. Write that verse out. Put it in front of you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Put it somewhere where you'll see it. Somewhere where you'll think about it. Beloved, you are not trapped by your sin. You're not owned by your passion. The Spirit of God can free you, can grow you in holiness. You can walk in self-control. There's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to all of us. Our God is faithful. He's faithful. He won't, won't give you more than you can bear. He will grant you a way of escape so that you may endure it. Burn that into your heart and your mind. Come back to that every day. You are not a donkey. You don't need a bit in your mouth. You're a child of the living God. His spirit dwells within you. His image is stamped upon you. And he has promised that in his power, he will sanctify you, make you more like him. Which really kind of lands this thing for us today. I want you to hear this, if that was you just now. Me as your pastor, this church, we are committed to helping you live and walk in this truth. I promise you, you can bring your shame, your sin, your hurts into the light. You can come to Jesus afresh for forgiveness here and now. And we, me, our pastors, this church, we will meet you with grace and love and we will walk with you. We will walk with you toward freedom. We will walk with you towards submission to Jesus, toward the wonderful life-changing teaching of Jesus that can make you more like him. We will do that. And we'll do that for the long haul. I don't care if that takes 30 years, we will walk with you fighting for holiness, walking in greater freedom, growing to be more like him. We're committed to that. That's you in this place. If even now your flesh is telling you that's not true, you've got to stay hidden, this is not as good as it seems, tell him to go away. Tell your flesh to be quiet. The gospel is for you today. Jesus loves you. And you need not walk in bondage to sin. You need not live your life trapped in joylessness, callous and hurt and dried out with brittle bones in your soul. You were made for freedom. You were made for that. Christ is calling you to it. 
And we will walk with you that direction. Mm. Now, for some of us, for some of us, we hear this text, we're encouraged, we're amening this. My fear is that some of us are going, this is an amazing text for all the other people in this room who are struggling with continued sin patterns and idolatry or who are not believers. Luckily for me, I'm much more spiritually mature and I already know all these things. This was very good, amen. Thank you, pastor. If that's you, I want to show you this picture. You guys know what ruck running is? This is ruck runners. This is go ruck. It's this thing. It's, it's, I obviously don't know this from firsthand experience. <laughs> but it's based on what, what military folk do when they, when they put on their big, huge 40, 50 pound pack and they got to go do a big hike and march. So you can buy these backpacks that are weighted 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 pounds and you go on a run <laughs> while you wear it. <laughs> I know. Everything about it's like, what? People make money? This is a thing? This sounds horrible. And if that's you, if you're into ruck running, man, good on you. That's a great exercise. Uh, but I share this image for this reason. My fear for many of us today, myself included, those of us who've been walking with Jesus a long time, is that we can really easily hear this text and go, amen, praise God, the gospel's so good. I'm, I'm gonna raise my hands while we sing this song. Man, I hope someone in this room who needs this hears it. I think we can easily do that. And I think one of the reasons we can easily dig into our kidneys that we need, desperately need someone to tie the bind so they'll break the bind so they'll roll away into the open mouth of the empty grave of Jesus. Instead, we think of them as our ruck. And we've learned to not just run with them and live with them, but to have blasted quads because we're so good at carrying them. Some of us have taken sin patterns and we've dismissed them and belittled them and made light of them for so long that we've just included them in our person. Some of us have taken our propensity towards bitterness and anger and lack of self-control. Some of us have taken the unhealth in our marriages. Some of us have taken our propensity to gossip and to lie. And we've downplayed these things for so long that we've convinced ourselves they're not actually sin patterns in our lives. They're just parts of our personality. I just, I'm just a guy who just speaks my mind. So, you know, other people just kind of need to deal with that. I just love telling good stories. I'm just concerned with making sure everyone knows what's going on. And we've so downplayed sin patterns in our life for so long that we've turned them into these rucks. Look how strong my legs are. And look how, I'm not, just, I'm not just not bowing under this burden. I flourish under this burden. This is who I am. This is part of my deal. Beloved, if that's you in this room, I pray that the Holy Spirit would hit you afresh with conviction. And he's a gentleman and he allows us to snuff his voice in our minds, and push it away. But if that's you in this room, I would, be, I would beg you, come to the Lord afresh with sober confession. Ask him to show you the sin in your heart again. Ask him to cut through the callousness, to cut through the ways you downplay the sin in your life and to remind you what it's actually doing to you. Ask him to give you clear eyes to see the brittle bones of your spirit to see how parched and dry you actually are, to see the weight 
that pushes down on you. Not as some badge of honor, but what it is, a burden to be taken away so that you can be in freedom. I would beg you, church, do not leave this space without coming to the cross again. On your knees before the Lord. Lord, bear my sin before me. Lord, convict me of what is broken in me. Show me the ways this world has wormed its way into my heart and the ways I've become way too comfortable with my sin. Lord, bring me to repentance again. Bring me back to the joy of my salvation. I would beg you to consider that before you leave this place today. And I know that's heavy-handed and I know that's intense. But guys, I do that because I love you. Because I know that is true of my own heart. Because we are bent toward hiding our sin. We are bent towards downplaying it, towards forgetting the beauty of the gospel. For some reason, even though Jesus hands us grace and love and forgiveness, and we know that hiding our sin and downplaying it rots our soul out, we are bent toward that. It's the natural, natural inclination of our hearts, beloved. You don't have to do that today. Today you can come fresh to the cross. You can come fresh, brand new. There's no shame, there's no embarrassment. There's no anything except the love of Jesus. So Chris, if you want to come up here, here's how we're going to close this out. We're going to take several minutes to pray. We are going to sing a song together, but we're not going to do that immediately. I want to give some space for us to connect with Jesus the way we need today. If you're in this place and you're still considering whether or not you want to give your life to Christ, you picked a weird Sunday to come. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) I would encourage you to consider the invitation of the Lord. Come and be saved. Come and be forgiven. Come and be washed clean. You can talk. Me and Jesse are both here as pastors. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to do that. If you're in this place and you know Christ for however long, fill in the blank. I want to encourage you, take the next few minutes. We'll sit here in some quiet with just some guitar going. I want to encourage you, please, come to the cross afresh. Consider your Savior. Perfect, loving, kind, having never sinned in his life. Being cruelly beaten and killed on your behalf. Consider the weight of the sin, the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders for you. Consider the cup of the wrath of God poured out on someone else instead of you. Consider the moment of judgment when a holy and righteous God will look upon every sinful action in your entire life and through Christ will not see you committing them, but will see Christ committing them. Who will look upon you and see nothing but the holiness and perfection of the Son. Consider that. Ask him to take the calluses off your heart. Ask him to remind you of convictions that you've been pushing away and avoiding for years. See what the Spirit says to you. See what he invites you to. If you need someone to pray with you in this time, Jesse and I would gladly do that. We love you and we're here. If you need to get into a space where you can get on your knees before the Lord, I would encourage you to do that. You can do that. If you can be with just you and Jesus where you're sitting, that's wonderful. Let's take a few minutes. With, let's be with Jesus. Let's come to him afresh. See what the Spirit says to us. And then after a few minutes, I'll come back up. 
and I'll transition us to a time of singing in response. Beloved, meet with Jesus and do the work your heart needs to do.